You know, today we are going to be going on through the Growing Deep series that we began last week. And uh, obviously you've already seen on the screen how you can download the notes and the bulletin and everything if you want to follow along. I had a lady tell me this week, by the way, she said, she said Sunday sermon, I enjoyed that so much. Probably the, enjoyed it more than any of them. And she went on to say, I downloaded the notes and I sat there and I started taking notes. And I got so much out of the sermon. If you will get your Bible, I'm going to invite you right now. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, get it. Find it. It's got to be there somewhere. Get it on your screen. Do something to get the Word of God in front of you. So today, you will be able to follow along and get something to write with. Because I want you to write today this incredible news, this nugget, if you will, we're going to find in God's Word in Ephesians chapter 1. So go ahead and start turning to Ephesians chapter 1 today. You know, many of us are faced with the idea that we're still trying to figure things out and we're still trying to discover what it is that we are to do and who God has called us to be and and the directions we're supposed to go. And we get confused every day because things come our way that we'll think one thing and then something else will happen and it'll turn what we were thinking completely upside down. And and then we're asking questions as to what are we going to do next. And we're constantly in this struggle, this back and forth. When we think we get our feet under us, it seems like we get wobbly and, and we begin to wonder again. But today I want us to really look at the question, what do we do in life when things seem to be going upside down? How can we, how can we position ourselves in a place that we will be able to make it through with confidence and peace and hope and strength? So today in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 15 in just a moment. But let me tell you, the great D.L. Moody said this, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Let me say that again. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. That means that that at some point, any great movement of God that took place was because someone got on their knees and they were praying. That they were on their knees seeking God and looking for Him. And today, guess what we're going to find? Last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul said that he bowed his knee. He was praying for the people. Well, in the very first chapter of this book, Paul is also praying, and we're going to get a hold of that today, because I believe if you're going to grow deep, you got to get in prayer to find some things that's going to be great. So let's begin in verse 15. Paul writes these words, For this reason... I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul the Apostle is telling us here that he has heard about their faith. He has heard about how they love the saints, how they are caring for each other, how their faith has been standing strong, and he's commending them for that. He is uh, addressing and encouraging them, but he also lets them know that I am making mention of you in my prayers. Now follow me here, because when Paul 
begins to pray. I don't know about you, but if, uh, Miss Judy, if, if I could go back through history and ask somebody to pray for me, I think Paul would be one of those on my list. I'd say, hey, Paul, would you pray for me? And I have a feeling that he would pray some things that I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with, Miss Gina. He may even surprise me a little bit in what he may pray, but I would rather him pray for me because he's going to be praying God's will and God's way. So, Here is Paul. He says, I'm making mention of you in my prayers. So what is it that he's praying about? What is it that is his focus? Where is he going with this? Well, well, let's look and see. Verse 17. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. He is praying that these people's hearts, their minds, they would understand and have a knowledge of God like they had never had before. A wisdom of God. Because let me tell you something. One of the most important things that you can do is understand God better. Because when you understand God better, you're going to understand yourself better. You're going to understand your spiritual life better. You're going to be able to understand the direction of what's happening better. You're going to have strength. You're going to have something that you cannot explain when you understand God just a little bit better. But let me tell you, it's going to take some time, it's going to take some prayer, it's going to take some intentionality. But here is Paul uh, praying for them that they would get the knowledge and the wisdom of God. But let's not stop there because I think verse 18 encapsulates a, a phrase, if you will, Paul, that God laid on my heart two weeks ago that I needed to be praying and that I needed to be sharing with you. Verse 18, I pray, Paul said. Paul says, I pray... I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us. Who believe? Well, this is this is the heart of this message, ladies and gentlemen. Because we can we can do a lot of things. We can educate ourselves on Google. We can look up stuff on YouTube and look at the news and try to figure out if it's true or not, little Paul. But the bottom line is the greatest knowledge we can get, the greatest thing that we can understand is the enlightening of our hearts toward God. A revelation of the knowledge of Him, who we have, and who it is that He is in our life. So let's look at these things in particular because let me tell you, the eyes of our heart sees differently than our physical eyes do. We can see things, we can read things, but our, the eyes of our heart will see things differently than any other thing. After demonstrating that believers have all spiritual blessings in the early part of this chapter, Paul prays that believers, you and I, those who have accepted Christ, would come to know God very intimately in order that they that they may know that we may know three different things so we're going to talk about knowing God right now and we're going to begin with the very first thing that he mentions here in verse 18 so let's look at this in verse 18 verse 18 he says 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. He is talking about the enlightening of our hearts. This is the main thing for you today. When it comes to knowing God, that going deep requires an enlightened heart. We cannot go deep with God unless our heart is enlightened into who He is and how He is working in our life. It is not simply a ticket to get us to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. The cross did not bear a price just so that you and I can just be assured that when we die we'll go to heaven and we can live like the devil while we're on earth. That is not why Jesus came. And if that is what you believe, you better look out because you're going to open your eyes in hell because you don't know Jesus Christ if you're living your life like the devil expecting to get into heaven. Jesus died on the cross for you. He shed His blood for you. He gave all that He had so that you would know Him. And today, growing deep requires an enlightened heart. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not going to understand God in His ways. You're not going to understand the strength and power He offers. You're not going to understand the peace He can give in the midst of the coronavirus. You're not going to get it if you don't know Jesus. Growing deep requires an enlightened heart. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. That comes through an intentionality in our life. It comes from us fixing our eyes And Paul is praying for that. And can I tell you something? This is beautiful. Because we can pray for this for other people. We can pray for this for our own life. You know, I even got a prayer request this this week about a lady who said the majority of her family is lost. That is a great time to pray that God will enlighten their hearts. You may have a son or daughter or, or a relative or you may have a neighbor. You may know someone who is just struggling and they are all out in left field. Pray that God will enlighten their hearts because that's going to make the difference. See, the reason we do not see God's glory is not that there isn't any light. The reason we don't see God's glory is because we enjoy the darkness too much. We want to stay in the dark. We want to live our life where it's comfortable in the sin and in the darkness of what we want. Again, I'm going to say, worshiping at the First Baptist Church of me, living in Meesville. Don't want to do it God's way, I want to do it my way. We want to live in the dark. But God wants us to turn our hardness of heart to an enlightenment of who He is. An enlightenment of the truth of Christ. See, We we have a God who loves us. And as we can see here in verse 17, look at this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. Paul mentions two things. The God of Jesus Christ, which means that God was fully man. And that he He was turned to God. He was also turned to the Father. Paul mentions the Father here. The Father, which is... The Father of Christ, the, the, the Father, our Father, we can call Him Abba Father according to Romans. Paul mentions both of these aspects of God right here in verse 17. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that He may... Let's make sure we understand. Paul is not, Paul is not uh, mentioning that the God in general... The Allah or the other gods of any other religion out there, he's making it very specific that this is the God, the Father of Jesus Christ. He's the one who can bring about the enlightening of the heart. He's the one who's going to move and change things. He's the one to which we pray, the one in which we look toward. And so Paul is making this very clear today. To know God is to be wise. 
to know God is to be wise. So here's the three things that Paul wants us to know. Let's dive into this. Let's know this today. Let's write this down. Let's make sure we get these three things today. Know this. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that, here we go, here's going to be the first one, so that you will know what is the hope of his, uh, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. There are the three things, but let's talk about the very first one. The very first one is this. Present hope today in 2020, on this day in April, present hope is grounded in the past. The present hope of right now is grounded in the past. I know many times you may hear people say, well, don't hold on to the past. Don't let it control you. But let me tell you something. If it wasn't for the past, if it wasn't for Jesus dying on the cross, if it wasn't for Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth and living as a man and being that ultimate sacrifice, I can assure you today there would be no hope in this coronavirus, in in this quarantine. There would be no hope. Hope today is grounded in the past of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. I hope you're helping me preach today because I'm a little fired up if you ain't, ain't figured this out. The past has the grace, the glory, and the gospel. And that is our hope. It is the faithfulness we've sung about about God. It is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that we've sung about that gives us hope today. And Paul is praying this for these people. He is praying it with earnestness. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know that you may absolutely without doubt, the word know here in the Greek carries with it this idea of the assurance, the absolute, without any doubt, knowledge, the know, um, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. Not my calling, not your calling, not your calling, not your calling, not anyone's calling, but God's calling. This is about Him, not us. If we are going to understand anything, it has to be Him first. And, and Paul is praying here that you may know the hope of His calling. His calling was for each of us to repent, to turn from our wicked ways, to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, to understand there's only one way, there's only one substitute, there is no other way except through Jesus Christ to find peace with God because of our brokenness and our sin in our life. So today I'm asking you, are you there? Are you ready for Christ to come back or for the end to happen? Or do you have Christ? Do you have the hope that was given to us from the past on the cross of Jesus Christ? So the very first thing is a present hope is grounded in the past. And I want to remind you of something. I remind you of whose child you are because of that. Because of the past, you are God's child and you can call Him Father. We don't have to refer to God as some distant God. We don't have to put Him on, on, on a pedestal in our home and bow down to Him. We can call out to Him at any time. And we don't have to use some big fancy name that we can't pronounce in Greek or Hebrew or some other language. All we got to do is say, Father, I'm coming to you now. And He's going to hear us because we're His child. 
And if anybody tells you anything different, that you're anything less than the child of a king, you can look at them and say, get behind me, Satan, you're a liar. Because according to Scripture, we are a child of the Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are royal. So we have present hope because it's grounded in the past of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's see what else Paul says here. I may start preaching in a minute. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches. Check this out. This is mind-blowing, this second thing here. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? His inheritance in the saints. Here's the second thing. God's future and rich inheritance is His saints. I just got to say it again. God's future and rich inheritance is His saints. Who is His saints, church? It's those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you said yesterday. It doesn't matter what you're thinking right now. If you know Jesus Christ, do you understand? God looks at you and He says, That's my richest inheritance right there. That man, that woman, that boy, that girl. I have created the universe. I've created gold and diamonds and silver. I have created the monetary system, but the greatest and richest inheritance is His saints. And if somebody says that you're nothing, I want you to remember God has declared in His Word that you are His richest inheritance out of all of the universe. Wow! Can I just say, wow! That should blow your mind. It is not measured by how good you are. It's not measured whether you're a preacher or you can sing like Miss Judy. I think, hey, don't tell nobody. Don't tell her. But I think there are angels in heaven that look at Miss Judy going, man, I wish I could do that. Man, amazing. But God does not measure the richness of the inheritance of Judy because she can sing better than the preacher. He looks at her and he sees Jesus Christ and the blood that's been applied to her and that makes her a saint. It's not based on your performance, what you've done or you haven't done. It's based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That makes you a saint. The Word of God does not separate people from Well, how good of a Christian are you? Maybe if you're good enough, I'll call you a saint. The Bible makes it very clear. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. And according to Scripture, you're God's greatest inheritance. I have a question for you. Are you living like it? Are you living like it? Like you are God's greatest inheritance, His rich inheritance? Or are you living like a fool? Are you living like you're worthless, you're useless, you're nothing? Stop believing the lies that people have told you all your life and believe what God not only said, but He wrote down right here in Scripture. Somebody, I believe, needs to highlight this in their Bible. Somebody needs to circle it. Somebody needs to put it on a piece of paper and stick it on their mirror. Somebody needs to know that you are the richest inheritance God's got. It's not measured by the universe, but by the blood of Christ in your life. That measures it. 
Let's go on. It gets better. It gets better, I promise. Third thing Paul's praying for here. We know that he's prayed in verse 18 that you will know the hope of God's calling. That, that you would know that you are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And third, and what is the surpassing? I like that word, Larry. That's a good word. Surpassing. Going beyond. It, it, it reaches farther. Surpassing. What is the surpassing? Greatness. We're not talking just good. We're talking great. The surpassing greatness of His power. His power. Not mine. Not yours. Not your neighbor's. The greatness of His power toward us who believe. Let me tell you something. Here's something for you to know. The greatness of God's power is available to us right now. I'm going to say it again. It's just so good. The greatness of God's power is available to us right now. Not just in the future when we get to heaven. Not just when we get into the church. It is available to you right now in your home, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. Maybe you're driving down the road listening to this on, on podcast or something. But God's greatness and power is right there with you right now no matter what's going on. So let's kind of look at how Paul measures the greatness of God's power. Because it's one thing to talk about the surpassing greatness of God's power, but Paul defines it a little bit. Let's check this out. It says here in verse 19, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance. These, all three, the hope, the inheritance, the power, all three, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Not your, yours, not your behavior, not, not your knowledge, not your theology. It is based on His might. Whew, this is good. Which He brought about, God the Father brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. Let me tell you something today, church. There is three things here I want us to talk about just for a moment. The manifestation of the greatness of the power of the inheritance in us of the hope that we can have is first found in Jesus Christ being crucified and raised from the dead. He is the only one in all of history that has conquered death, hell, and the grave. That is some power, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how many gigatons it would take to propel a man from earth to the moon. There has got to be great power to push someone from here to there. But can I tell you something? It pales in comparison to the power of God in your life right now that you have access to. There's a great song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that I was listening to again this week. I'm a Stephen Curtis Chapman fan. I loved his music growing up. My dream, Paul, little Paul, was one day I wanted to play bass for Stephen Curtis Chapman. I had that goal. 
And I set a date. And if I was not one step closer to being able to play for Stephen Curtis Chapman, I was going to lay down that dream and pick up my calling. Did you hear what I said? My calling was to do what I'm doing right now, but I had a dream to play bass. And I, I, I told God I wanted to do it, but then there came this calling. And I'm in the middle of that. But let me get back to the, to the message. That was, uh, I'm ADD if I don't have notes. Um, so here we have... Uh, a song from Stephen Curtis Chapman I was listening to this week. It's old. And it talks about, what if I was asked by Regis Philbin to come on, do you want to be a millionaire? And what if I won with two lifelines to spare? Now picture this. I'd take all my money, put it into a coffee can, and I'd go bury it in my backyard and act like nothing ever happened. It doesn't mean that you're not a millionaire. It just means that you're not accessing what you've already been given. Let me tell you something. Each of us have been given access to the greatest power that's ever been. That is God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you think your problem is bad. And it's too big. God raised Jesus from the dead. Come on. Christ raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. He just didn't raise Him up. He seated him at the right hand of the Father. And not only is he just sitting there saying thank you, God put him over all things. All things are under Jesus' feet. Verse 22, and he put all things in subjection. In subjection under his feet. There is nothing you can bring up, nothing you can pray about, and nothing that can happen in your life that's not going to be under the feet of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? It doesn't matter what's happening around you. It's under the feet of Jesus. Stop letting the devil make you think that it's over his head because it's not. It's under his feet and he can take care of it. We have access to that. The greatness of God's power is available to us right now. But Paul manifested through the raising of Christ from the dead, the seating at the right hand of God, the, the absolute everything being under His feet. And I want you to notice the, the last thing here that he says. This is incredible. Verse 22 and 23. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the Walmart. Is that what it says? Does it say to the local YMCA? Does it say to the synagogue? No, it says to the church. And you know who the church is? It is not this building sitting at 13 First Street. The church is you and I. The church is us. We are part of this. And Jesus is head over the church. He is over it. He is in charge. And listen, verse 23. Which is His body? The fullness of Him who fills all in all. That is a description of us as the church, you and I. We are the body of Christ. You've heard it before? Why don't we walk like we are? Why don't we love like we are? Why don't we talk like we are? Why do we walk around so defeated if we're the body of Christ and everything's under His feet and that He's given us power? We, I, I understand being sad. We are in a human condition. And God gave me this this morning. That we as humans can struggle. But here is a great thing. When we struggle, it's a reminder of us that we're not God and He is. It helps us remember where to turn. 
I think sometimes when we struggle, it's actually a gift. When we go to those dark places and those hard places, it's a gift to remind us that God is in control, we are not, and to take another look at the perspective. And it can be hard, it can be difficult, but it can be a gift. What became after God raised Jesus from the dead? Listen to this. He broke the power of death. He seated Jesus at His right hand and with us beside Him. He set Jesus over all demonic demonic powers. He was a head over all things to the church. He's head over history, over humans, over demons, over all diseases, disabilities, nature, including the weather. He's over the military, the government. He's over education. He's over religion. He's over the solar system. He's over the stars, the galaxies, the atoms, and and at least 10,000 things that we cannot even fathom or think. He's over the coronavirus that man has to concoct an invention that they have to see something that God has seen the entire time. Jesus is head over all. He, he is act, absolutely active today and real. He is head over cancer. Cancer is under His feet. But do we live like we believe it? George Mueller, he was known in the mid-1800s as a man who began orphanages and he was also traveling and he was a pastor of great faith, and he'd travel around and preach. And he was on a boat one time, and he was, he was headed to a destination in Quebec to deliver a sermon. And while he's on this boat, a great fog just overtook the boat, and you couldn't see where you were going. The captain couldn't see anything. As a matter of fact, the captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours straight trying to keep the ship safe and going in the right direction. And as, as time kept running on, George Mueller came to the captain and said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. When informed that it was impossible, from the captain tells, tells George Mueller it's impossible, he, rep- he replied, Very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way I have never broken an engagement for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. He called upon the captain to pray. Took the captain with him and they went down to the chart room and Mr. Mueller began to pray. He began to pray and he prayed a simple prayer. And when it came time when George Mueller finished, the captain was going to pray and George Mueller just put his hand on him and said, No. He replied, My eye is not on the destiny of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life, George Mueller said. He knelt down and prayed one of those simple prayers, and when he had finished, the captain says, I was going to pray, but he's put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. Firstly, he said, Because you do not believe God will, and secondly, I believe God has, and there is no need whatsoever for you to even pray about it. That's faith. That's believing that God's power, His hope, and His presence is real. The captain says, I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known the Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up and open the door, and you will find that the fog has gone. The captain wrote, I got up, and I opened the door, and the fog was indeed gone. 
Ladies and gentlemen, God's power is greater than anything we could ever imagine. You know, I have a light bulb right here. This light bulb right here has been designed, created, and manufactured for a purpose. It has been given its life dream of bringing light in the darkness. This light bulb right here has everything that it needs to fulfill what it's been designed to do, except for one thing. It's missing the power. It's missing the electricity. It's missing that which was, once it goes, there will be a positive and a negative. When that electricity goes into this bulb and runs through this bulb, it's going to light up and brighten a room. See, when you look at this bulb, the positive, if it's only there, you get no power. You can take 120 volts and stick the positive right here on that right tip. This light will not light up. But when you, oh, hold on to this. When you attach the ground to it, when it is grounded, then that power begins to flow. Jesus has the power right here for you. Jesus has got it right here. God has given you all that is needed for life, Peter said in 1 Peter. He has offered to you the power available right now, but you've got to get grounded by getting your life enlightened into who He is. And then there's going to be a light that shines. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, All power, not some power, not a little power, not certain power, but all power has been given to me. Let's believe that. So what am I to do with this? What must I do? How do I respond to this scripture today? These three things. Number one, embrace the truth of God. Embrace the truth of God. Paul is praying for these people to understand of who he is. When we understand the hope and the power and the inheritance based on him and not us, then we can walk differently. We can talk differently. We can believe differently. Second thing, embrace the truths of me, about me. Those things about me. Embrace those truths of what God's Word has declared. Not what people have said. Not what the doctor has declared you uh, uh, sometimes to be. You need to really look at what God's Word has declared. Get rid of the labels that Satan has put on you and grab hold of the ones that God has declared in His Word for you. You are the richest inheritance that God will receive in the future. Come on. Can you get to be any better of a treasure than that? Holy cow. I mean, I thought it was great when I got my, my first baby, Jayanna, when she was born. Wow. Then I got Eliza. Wow. And then we got Buddy and we went, whoa. <laughs> no, he is wow. In fact, I love doing ministry with my kids and my wife. And we get to do it together here. Man, what an inheritance I get to have in my life. But that pales into comparison as to what God is declaring about you, about me. The richest inheritance is us. Wow. The last one is Embrace loving others. Because Paul, earlier on, we were reading up you know, around verse 15, 16, he was talking about the love that the people had for the saints. 
the love the people had for the saints. We need to be known for that. We need to be calling. We need to be sending cards in. You know, there's one thing for sure. I think God has put us all in time out and put us in our rooms for a while for us to slow down and start contacting each other. There have been people tell me that, that they've gotten contact from people they haven't heard from in years. How about you? Won't you take an, another opportunity this week to reach out to somebody? Reach out to them and care about them. Ask them some questions. Pray for them. Check on them. See how they're doing. We are to, to be loving one another. Embrace that. Here's your seven-day challenge as Gina comes to the piano. Your seven-day challenge. Are you ready for this? Paul was praying for other people that they may be enlightened, their hearts may be enlightened. But I want you to begin by praying that your heart be enlightened this week. Every day, why don't you pray, God, may you enlighten my heart to the truth. The truth of who you are. Maybe you have questions. I can tell you one thing, when your heart is enlightened, that which used to be boring becomes exciting. That which used to be confusing becomes clear. That which was once uninteresting to you becomes your greatest interest. That's like the Word of God. The things of the Spirit becomes of a great interest to you. So today, I implore you, ounce of my being to believe the word of God lay aside the logic and the lies and grab hold of the truth that God has declared understand these three things may your heart be enlightened to them if you do not know Jesus Christ today there's going to be an opportunity on the screen where you're going to be able to just press I accept Jesus Maybe you're wondering and you've had questions. Maybe you've been waiting for God to show up and do something great. It could be that right now God is declaring through this message, this is the moment and you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. It doesn't take a whole lot of figuring out you don't have to have all the answers you just have to understand I've messed up I've made mistakes and you know every single one of us have but we come to that place to understand I've messed up and there's only one way to fix it and that is through Jesus Christ and the cross and so once you realize that you've messed up you just ask God to forgive you and ask Him to take over your life. And He will do just that. I implore you right now, if you do not know Jesus Christ, that you raise your hand and you accept Jesus right now. It is on the screen right now. You can just press raise hand. Two people have pressed it already. Who else needs to raise your hand and accept Jesus today? Who else needs to say, I'm tired of trying to figure it out. 
I want to know for sure that when I die, I go to heaven and I want God in control of my life. Commit right now and raise your hand. Father, this morning, your grace is sufficient. Lord, we glorify you for those who have pressed the button today to raise their hand to say, I'm committing my life to Jesus. Lord, today, I pray for all those who've joined us. And Father, they will take these words that are written down in your scripture to heart. That, Lord, you will enlighten their hearts. And, Father, they may know you better. So, Father, I pray that your power, that your knowledge, your wisdom, will be real for them. Lord, you are great and you are mighty. You are the Holy One. So today we come to you asking, simply, that you may enlighten our hearts to you. Thank you, Father, for today in the service. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do tomorrow in Paisley's life. I thank you, Father, for what you've done today in the lives of those who have joined us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.